0: Life takes many twists and turns, and we may not always end up where we intended to go. My guest, Alicia Stewart, is no stranger to change or organ donation. I'm Marianne Shuck, host of Let's Talk Hope, a podcast devoted to sharing stories about the gift of organ and tissue donation from the perspective of donor families, transplant recipients, those waiting, and subject matter experts. Please listen in and find out about Alicia's journey of change and donation. Well, let's get right into it. We were introduced by Luis Ortega, and I'm sorry I wasn't able to make the Ice Hogs game, but I understand that you are a double transplant recipient. Can you tell us a little bit about your journey?
1: Like you had said, I was honored that night as a hometown hero because approximately six and a half, we'll say years ago, I did receive a pancreas and a kidney due to diabetes and renal failure. I needed those. Basically at the age of two, I was diagnosed with type one diabetes. So I never got to really choose if I would like a pill. um, And I had to start doing insulin injections at two. And then throughout my life, you know, I went to high school, I went to college, everything was good. And then when I was about 30 is when I started to show early signs of renal failure. And I, I will be transparent and say, I wasn't very compliant with my (laughs) diabetes. Okay. So the whole renal failure, I can say was some of my fault. Accepting that at the age of 30 was difficult. Like you said in your intro, the change. Um, It was very, very difficult. It was a change that I did not forecast nor foresee.
0: Well, I was just going to say it was interesting to read your bio and just talk about how you pivoted back and forth between high school and between school and between careers. What was it like to pivot through all of that and then know you needed to have a transplant? Were you ever on dialysis?
1: I was. Okay. How was that? At 34, I went on dialysis and that was the ultimate moment when I thought, oh my gosh, I have to really make some tough decisions. One was I was not capable of taking care of my son. So he then went to go live with my mom. I wasn't able to work my job that I had been at, established at, worked very well at. So I had to give up my job. There were a lot of losses during that time, but I will say sitting on dialysis, I got to realize a lot of things and who I wanted to be if I ever got off that machine. That was always my (laughs) thought.
0: So between 30 and 34, was your diabetes reversible?
1: Can you explain the difference between type 1 and type 2 diabetes? The type of diabetes I have is type 1. It is not reversible unless you get an organ transplant. That was my blessing. It is reversible. And I was able to experience that. Type two is where it's controlled with diet, sometimes with medicine, but it can be controlled without insulin being needed.
0: Great.
1: And so you're on dialysis.
0: You've had all these personal changes. You've had a career change. Tell us about the journey to transplant.
1: So sitting on dialysis, like I said, you become very aware of things that you want to do and things that need to change. And one day a social worker came to me and she said, have you ever heard of a transplant? And, you know, I had heard of the stigma, the myths, the scary stories, but I told her, I was like, yeah, but I don't think I want to do it. And she's like, you should read up on it for yourself. And in that moment is when I realized like, that's key. You know, I got to educate myself about something that may be beneficial for me. So I decided that I wanted to get on the list by my son's birthday. So I did some research and all of that. It was a decision that I had to make with my village. Okay. um, Because it wasn't just me. So was it just you
0: who understood maybe the myths and misconceptions? Was it your village? What, What was your hesitancy about maybe registering to be a donor and transplant?
1: it was not just me. Uh, A lot of my family members were, one, are you going to be willing to wait that long? Another one was, well, you know, the myth about how you receive your organs and things like that. But after sitting down in my village, understanding like that's a myth, that's not true. Also, you wait, you know, you wait for a lot of things in life. But while you wait, it's important to appreciate life as well. So we've kind of my village started to do things with me. So I wasn't so depressed while on dialysis.
0: Once you made the decision, you're going to get on the list. Did anyone in your village say, okay, I'm going to register? Had you thought about living donation
1: so that you might not wait? How long was your wait for transplant? I did have a living donor. However, in my situation, the diabetes caused the renal failure. So I would have to get a pancreas and a kidney would be the best beneficial long-term Reversal, as you said, to the problem. But I did, you know, a couple of people said, Hey, I'll give you a kidney, but I needed both. So after that hurdle as well, because, you know, I thought, Well, I'll just fix it with the kidney. Northwestern was like, Nope, we want you to fix it all together. They want you to be whole. So it was an amazing journey with Northwestern. And after nine months, I tell people I was pregnant. I was pregnant, waiting, 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 waiting for that call. And I got two false calls. And then the third one was finally a success. Awesome. And can you tell
0: people a little bit about what the pancreas does and why you needed it to help
1: support kidney function? The pancreas primary goal, I guess, is to secrete the insulin to kind of maintain a good level of blood sugar or blood glucose levels. And then it coincides with the kidney because when your glucose levels are out of whack, you begin, you begin to spill the protein into your urine, which is also very damaging the kidneys, as well as, like I said, I was not compliant. So, you know, not drinking the adequate amount of water that's recommended and just not eating healthy was all a factor where the pancreas was needed to be healthy and it already was damaged for so long. So then the effect was the kidney. That's a great point that you make that one, you were not compliant
0: and you recognize that what were some of the things that you could have done to be
1: compliant? Doctor visits, taking my blue clothes level. I hated pricking my finger, hated it. Now with modern technology and science being so advanced, they have the insulin pump or they have this. Nice gadget where you can just scan your arm and it gives you your blood sugar or your blood glucose level. However, that was not for me back then. So I had to prick my finger and, you know, so it was just a lot of things that I felt at the time interrupted my life. Like I didn't want to have to say, excuse me for a moment, I have to go take my insulin. I think in probably towards the end, is when they started even creating insulin pens. But I had a little bag a insulated bag because insulin has to be kept cold. So there was a lot of responsibility that I should have done better with and keeping doctor's appointments. I know life happens for everyone, but it's important to go see them when they say your primary care may say, come see me in a year. Keep that year appointment. Or he might say, I need to see you in six months. You kind of know with your body, there's a check engine light on and you're like, "Nope, I'm going to keep driving. I'm going to keep driving. So keeping those appointments is important as well. It's so
0: important. And I will tell you, I have a brother who is waiting for a kidney right now. I'm uh, probably going to be the living donor, we're just waiting for the process of the testing, you know how that goes. But Mm -hmm. again, he's an African-American male, hadn't been to the doctor maybe 10, 20 years and wound up in stage renal failure and was not compliant for a while, or I guess angry for a while that he was in that situation, but not recognizing that he was the reason that he was in that situation.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's the difficult part is sometimes you have to sit in the situation and realize I put myself here. But kudos to you for giving to your brother. That's amazing. Like I said, I had a couple of people, but they wanted me to fix both underlying health issues so kudos to you thank you mm-hmm. yeah. I appreciate anyone who don't <laughs>
0: <laughs> absolutely well I've worked at gift of hope for 14 years so it's uh, just a way of life for me as well as I'm a donor family I lost my husband four years ago so I know both sides of the circle of life and so you want to make sure that this podcast, we're here to educate and, and you help folks tell stories for people that look like us. We have our sister podcast for the Latinx community. People want to hear stories from people that look like them that have gone through this process. And so I'm so thankful for your being here today to share just your story. And so nine months, you wait for this organ, you have two false calls. And then what happened?
1: The third call, I got a call at about 3 p.m. in the afternoon. And I thought, I'm not telling anybody. I was kind of embarrassed. I've already had two false calls. My family, I got excited. So this one, I kind of just kept to myself. I did as I was instructed by Northwestern to start fasting. And they would call me back. So for about three hours, I sat by myself. I didn't tell anyone. And I just kind of, you know, asked God if this is the one, if this is for me, like, let it go smooth. Let it just work out. They called me about three hours later and they said, can you start heading this way? And I thought, oh boy, this is a little bit closer. So, you know, I called my village that we had already discussed. Okay, you're going to drive her. You're going to be the caretaker. I have an amazing family that stepped up with me just to make sure my transplant is healthy and they still help me. So they got in position. My dad drove me to Northwestern. And by the time I got there, you know, it was kind of like a movie. It was like, what was this happening so fast? Oh my goodness. And they're introducing themselves. And I just was like, oh my goodness, we are here. This is really happening. And in that moment is when I realized like, there's no false call. There's no note. We changed our mind. There's nothing else. This is it. That's incredible. And so what was it like when you woke up? Scary. Can I be honest? <laughs> yeah. It was scary. I mean, I had tubes everywhere and I woke up and I thought, oh, what is, where am I? What's going on? Um, and then after that, they kind of told me, hey, you know, you were in surgery, the kidney worked, the pancreas worked, and they're going down the vitals that were beautiful. And I'm sitting there like, what do I do now? <laughs> I'm <so> scared. <laughs> Like, wait, there's staples in my belly. What? Wait. It was a very scary moment. The doctors and the transplant team at Northwestern, they were there literally every step of the way. Like when I had to get out the bed to go to the bathroom, they were like, wait, 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 let's walk together. So it was scary though. Later down the line, like now I'm very appreciative, but in that moment, I'm being honest, it was very scary. I can only imagine.
0: And so now- As you talk about the transplant, have you thought about your donor family and maybe the person who donated said yes. Obviously someone had to pass away to be able for you to have this.
1: What were your thoughts about the donor family after you woke up? I gotta find them. I gotta find them. I wrote the donor family every year on the year anniversary, on the second year anniversary, on the third year. I never stopped. I wanted to find that family and just tell them, thank you. And just to show my appreciation and also to make sure the legacy of whoever the donor was lived on through me. After I got unscared and after I healed, I hit the floor like writing letters every year for them. And is that how you got connected with Gift of Hope? It is. I also got connected with Gift of Hope because I was so motivated and my favorite color is purple. So I was like, oh, I really want to be part of this team as well. So it was, I actually turned 40 and I thought, I want to be an ambassador for Gift of Hope. I would (laughs) love to be able to help other people along pre and post transplant. So definitely I started just letting Gift of Hope know I'm available in whatever shape or form you need. And in return, I got a name and an email from someone who would reach out to the family for me. Yes. That was amazing. So I sent an email to Gift of Hope and I told them, I've been writing letters. Okay. Is there another way to do it? <laughs> and luckily that was just this year. Okay. So six years later, I was able to be connected through Gift of Hope to my donor's mother wow and his twin sister. Oh wow yeah that's awesome I'm a twin
0: <laughs> are you yes. oh my word <laughs> so,
1: so well I often joke with his family now and I say well I have his twins because I'm the only recipient that got two organs from him. I got his pancreas and his kidney yes. so I have his That is amazing. And so how
0: was it? Have you met the family or have you just talked to them?
1: Actually, it's this is a perfect timing for the podcast. I met her last weekend. Oh, wow. Yep. For the first time, I got to meet Mm -hmm. Terrell's mother. Okay. Terrell was my donor. He was a 20-year-old Black king. Okay. That's what I call him. I will never stop calling him a black king because he reigns over me forever. Yes. So I call him my black king, but Terrell Adam Suggs, I got to meet his mom Mm -hmm. and his twin sister. His mother's name is Ayanda and his twin sister is Shereel. So we have Cheryl and Terrell. Oh, yep. And it was amazing. We met at his gravesite. Oh, wow. I was able to see where he was buried and just pay respect and let him know I'm not going to let you down. How awesome. And how were you received by the family? Amazing. The mom said she had the letters and she said, you know, I just couldn't read them. And I said, hey, I get it. You know, I understand. I have a son as well. So I kind of connected with her on that level, too. Like, I get it. You know, no pressure. You did it when you were ready. And I appreciate that you did it at all. She did say that, though, meeting me was very refreshing. And I thought. What an amazing family for you to say someone is refreshing, you know, when you gave the refreshness to me. Yes. So they're very humble people and very thankful. Mm-hmm. It's a good platform now to educate other people of color, like, hey, look, we give, we give, you know, it works out very nicely. You know, it's, it's it's a nice feeling.
0: Yeah. And that's the journey, right? And that's the challenge with myths and misconceptions. People believe hearsay and they believe, oh, well, somebody was rolled up in the carpet and somebody was here and, you yeah. know, gift of hope. Yeah. We're responsible for all the missing young black women. But in reality, when you talk about the process of donation, Donation can only occur in a hospital, in a sterile environment with doctors and nurses, and it cannot happen in a garage. It cannot happen on the street corner. And so to be able to have this family and you to come together and see that he was an African-American king, and you're an African-American woman, and this this circle of donation happened and yeah. he was able to save your life or in save and enhance your life, right? And mm-hmm. you know Definitely, that's yeah. why it's so important that we have these conversations. And I'm so thankful that you had your village surrounding you to really walk this step with you to understand and get from a place of, no, this is a bad thing to, yes, this is what we're going to do and this is what we have to do. Tell us a little bit about you and just how you became this amazing person.
1: Oh, well, thank you. I, amazing is very humbling and I'm honored that you said that because I just feel like I'm just a single mom. Um that really is what has pushed me, driven me is motherhood. I had my son when I was 26. So, I was out of college, didn't really know, didn't have a career, didn't know which way I wanted to go. And here they hand me this beautiful boy. And I'm like, oh boy, yeah, I got to do something with him. I I have to make sure he's great and I'm good. That's always what I've said. He's going to be great. I'll be good. So that was kind of the turn and trajectory of what pushed me to start taking better care of my diabetes. Because like I said, I had it since I was two. So from two to 18, my mother was that helicopter parent. Like, nope, you can't go here. Nope, she can't eat that. No, 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 no. I always tease her. I'm like, I just wanted a parent, not a nurse. But, you know, she went in helicopter mode as a nurse parent. I don't even know if that's a, a word, but she was a nurse parent. So just growing up, so by the time from 18 to 26. I'll be honest. I didn't think I had diabetes. I didn't know what diabetes was. I'm in college. Like there was no type of self-care, no type of like respecting that diabetes was part of my journey. It was not there in college. So by the time I had my son is when it really hit like, oh, you still have diabetes and you have this beautiful baby boy who's looking at you like, hey, are you going to be healthy? Are you going to be here at least for 15 years or 18 years or 30 years of my life? So I started taking better care of myself once I had my son, whose name is Aaron. I call him my sunshine. I call him a lot of things. He's probably going to kill me, but I call him poopy. You know, we <laughs> have those things. Yes. But as he started growing together, I always tell him, "You were my motivation." I chose a career and financial institutions. So I started really gaining understanding and working towards building the career of what I wanted. I always tell people, I wanted to open my own bank. That's still like something I would love to do for like single moms and just help them understand like we can save and we can spend, Okay, you know, stuff like that. And then by the time, I like I said, by the time I was 30, my kidneys were like, oh, check engine lights on, ma'am. We're not feeling good, ankles were swollen. All the signs I had and all the signs I ignored until I went to the doctor he's like, Miss Stewart, we need to talk. And I'm like, Okay, go ahead. What do you want to talk about? You know? And it was when he said, We just find a heavy, heavy, heavy result of protein in your urine. And having diabetes for so many years, you know what that means. Right. You know, that's one of those I won't say it is as severe as hearing cancer, but it's very like distraughting. And like, you know, the next step is dialysis, mm-hmm. you know, and when that creatinine starts climbing, you're like, no, but the damage had been done. So it wasn't even an option for me to like take a pill or, you know, once again, it wasn't an option. I had to do dialysis I wasn't successful with all the other ways of dialysis Mm -hmm. and with modern technology. They have so many beautiful ways that you can do dialysis. But I was one of the lucky ones. You got to sit there with the needles and get it flushed out and put back in. So at that time is when I realized like, oh boy, this journey is not just for me. My son's not with me. When I would go to dialysis and I would sit, they called me the crybaby because (laughs) I would get on there. And I'm probably telling too much, but transparency is good, right? It is good. They would bring me a box of tissue, hook me up to the dialysis machine. And for four hours, I would just sit there and cry. They come check on me. Ms. Stewart, do you need anything? No. And they say, okay. And they walk away. You know, <laughs> it was kind of one of those things. They're like, she's the crybaby. Mm-hmm. And I just sat there for about Two, three months, and just cried, and then finally, one day, I don't think I had any more tears to cry. It was just like i'm here i just I'm just here, and you know, I just was there for two and a half years. I went to dialysis, and I literally was just there. That's when the social worker came and made mention, like you said, I'm an amazing person, and the story sounds real glorified. No, there were times. If I would be honest, and if my family would tell, like, we had to coach her out of, yeah, you can't give up. There were plenty of times where, you know, the dialysis was so draining and I was so sleepy and I just couldn't function. And it was like, I want to go see my son. And people are like, no, you can't drive to see him right now. Mm -hmm. So my son was the one I was like, I'm going to get healthy and I'm going to drive him to the park and I'm going to drive him to get something to eat and I'm going to drive him. You know, I had these high hopes. And so for two
0: and a half years, you were separated from your baby?
1: Yes, ma'am. Wow. Yep. For two and a half years, I was separated from my baby. I didn't have a car. I didn't have a job. I didn't have sufficient funds of income. I went from Having my own house, my own car, my own son to, hey, dad, can you take me to the grocery store? So th- it also brought on a humility of no other because I was, you know, independent. And that's how a lot of African American women try to be independent. But I had to humble myself and say, hey, I need help. Absolutely. And I'm, I guess I'm just a little confused that you don't think that that's amazing.
0: That is a quiet <laughs> strength that I'm not sure that most people could handle, right? Because Mm -hmm. you made the comment that they placed that baby in your arm and he was everything, right? He was everything. And so that's a quiet strength that I believe that you have that is very important because Mm -hmm. this is not an easy thing. Transplant is a cure. Dialysis is a bridge to transplant, Mm -hmm. but transplants allows you to get your life back, right? Allows you not to have to be tethered to a machine three days a week, four hours at a time. The transplant allowed you to be able to go back and get your baby and to go back Mm -hmm. and to change the trajectory of your career, which is pretty impressive. Thinking that you went from banking to then achieving a certificate in personal training to be able to help people about healthy living, you know, and you have a podcast and you have a YouTube channel. And so tell me how all of those support you being an ambassador for Gift of Hope, support you giving back to your community and educating youth and adults in a healthier lifestyle. I may need a personal trainer. I'm just saying.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yes. It's not the traditional personal training either. Like I like to work with those that have hypertension, high blood pressure, high cholesterol. Mm -hmm. Those are the particularly people I like to train. Now, will I train anyone? Yes. Mm -hmm. But my personal training, I try and cater to those that I am more familiar with. It, it's just, I'm more familiar with what their needs are and what their desires are. I, was, I don't know why people think if, if you're a diabetic, then want for sugar goes away. No, it gets bigger. And, <laughs> you know, it's Murphy's law. If they tell you, you can't, you want mm-hmm. it, you know? I try and work with all when I'm doing personal training to help them understand the good counting carbs and the good sugary snacks and things like that. And then also just, I decided while on dialysis, I had to, they say that aha moment or the come to Jesus moment, Mm -hmm. whatever they call it. I had one while on the machine. And I thought, I'm going to create my own business and I'm going to do a podcast and I'm going to help people. And I thought, Alicia shares her keys. Because so many doors I felt like shut in my face. But if I can just share the keys I have now, we can walk through this door together. So I just started writing while on dialysis. Like, okay, Alicia shares her keys. One of the keys, hip hop help. Where I go to schools from kindergarten all the way to 12th grade. And I tell young people, hey, I know those flaming Hot Cheetos taste so good to me. <laughs> but... Let me tell you and show you what they're doing to your body. And, you know, just making healthier decisions. Yes, we all have cravings. It's okay to have a bag, mm-hmm. but we overindulge. I try and teach them and I try and introduce them to healthy eating habits. They don't have to change, but they'll never be able to say hip hop health didn't introduce. So that key is kind of towards, like you said, helping youth. Then the podcast is the lemonade stand. And it's a play on words. Lemonade is actually spelled L-E-M-O-N-A-I-D. Okay. And I encourage people to stand in their lemons. So Lemonade stand. It's a play on words, but like my it. life is full of so many lemons. Oh, I was squeezing on them. I still squeeze them. I still have my lemons. So that's the podcast. And it's in person because I like for people to see this journey. It takes a toll on us. And a lot of people that come on that podcast. I want them to see physically how people overcame and how they look now versus what they did. I don't look like what I've been through. Cliche. Then I have three health management. That's the personal training part. And that's just getting everything together. And then I have Alicia's business consulting. Of course, having worked in financial institution and with a degree in business communications, I always like business. I don't mind my own business, I tell people. So (laughs) But those are definitely my keys that I share. And I created that because I want to give back. Somebody gave to me. And once I found that someone, Terrell, I'm not going to stop giving. Even more now, I feel more motivated that I found my Black King, Terrell, and he, you know, and his family gave to me. Can you talk a little bit just about? Why it's so important to
0: know your numbers? You mentioned cholesterol. You mentioned creatinine. You mentioned different numbers, and why is it important for people to know their numbers in case they wanted to come and work with you?
1: The best thing I can do, or th- the way I give a similarity, here, you know, this is a metaphor. You drive a car. You check the gas, that's a fluid, that's a number, that's a level. You check the oil, that's a fluid, that's a number, that's a level. You check the windshield wiper fluid. I was very upset over the winter when mine didn't work. <laughs> so you check your levels or your numbers or you know your speedometer on your car. Why not treat your body even better? You can't treat your car better than your body because the car needs you. So I always try and stress to people, don't ignore that check engine light. Don't ignore, well, they just swollen. No, they're not just swollen. They're swollen for a reason. <laughs> let's find out. Let's conquer our fears and let's go to the doctor or let's conquer our fears and find out. Just because you have it doesn't mean you can't walk through it and live through it. So knowing the numbers, I think sometimes people are afraid even like, oh, no, I don't want to know. What if something's wrong? Well, I would rather know that I need gas than to run out of gas. Absolutely. I
0: remember being little and uh, I adored my great great grandmother, adored her. We would, as you mentioned about the ankles, and her ankles would be swollen and they would look like what they used to call it bread pudding. And, you know, <laughs> we would say, Oh, maybe you need to go to the doctor. And she's like, No, baby, I just have a touch of the sugar. Right. That's what they used to yes. call diabetes. And so yes. it's, so important to have these conversations like you and your family did, but to continue to have them, to talk about your wishes, to talk about what would happen should a tragedy befall you. Have these conversations now so that you don't have to have them when a tragic circumstance happens. So I appreciate you and your family being able to talk about this and to be able to support you. As a result, do you think that anybody has changed how they think about transplantation and what they consider being organ donors?
1: Oh, yeah. Since my um, family has seen kind of firsthand what it can do for a person's life, they all are like, "Okay, yep, I'm going to do this, even though the myths say this, even though certain reports say false information as well, they all said, we saw firsthand what it did for our family. And even with my donor's mom, Ayanda, she said, at first she was like, no, they're going to let my son die. And then she said, but I want him to die giving. Mm -hmm. And I thought, wow, you know, that was a humbling experience when a mom says, because I'm a single mom with a son, and she was a single mom with a son. Mm -hmm and i just said wow you know you you decided to give because he was on the driver's license but because of his mom and things like that she kind of had the final say Mm -hmm. is what i understood and she said yes and he had already said yes so two yeses i guess was my yes
0: well alicia i want to thank you for being a phenomenal woman who gives back who has taken on this journey I can only imagine it's going to be an amazing ambassador for Gift of Hope. I look forward to meeting you and working together. And thank you so much for being our guest today. Do you have any final words that you want to say?
1: I just want to thank Gift of Hope and on behalf of the Stuart and Suggs. Suggs is the transplant. I'm the recipient, Stuart family. Suggs is the donor. So on behalf of Stewarts and Suggs, we've come together with superpowers, and we really appreciate you telling our story, and hopefully someone can be motivated to give. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Let's Talk Hope, a
0: podcast devoted to sharing stories and turning tragedies into triumphs. We encourage you to start the conversation about organ and tissue donation with your loved ones today, and please make your wishes known. You can register to become a donor at giftofhope.org. And if you like what you've heard today, we hope that you'll listen again wherever you subscribe to podcasts. Let's Talk Hope was produced by Rivet. And if you'd like to hear more great podcasts, please visit rivet360.com.